Well, good morning. You guys hear me okay? Perfect. I think that was a yes. You can hear me? All right. <clears throat> well, I'm uh, not Todd, um, and I'm, but I am excited to be here. Uh, Todd is not feeling well today, and so we need to pray for him. Um, since Todd's not here, you can pray for me. In fact, if you don't hear a word I say, but you pray that the next 30 minutes goes well, we're all good. Um, for those that don't uh, know me, my name's Carrie Gilbert. I'll give you a little bit of my story in just a minute. But before we uh, jump into the word, uh, let's spend some time in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful that you have given us this time this morning. We do lift up uh, Todd. I pray that you would um, help him to feel better soon. And uh, Lord, I am thankful for this church home, this body that uh, loves and cares for one another. So this morning, Lord, would you um, work in a supernatural way so that uh, your words are all that people hear and that um, uh, you just protect our time, be with us this morning as we share uh, some things that you've written in scripture. So Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So um, it is an exciting time. It's an exciting day. Uh, Doug, I guess we've been kind of waiting for today for quite a while, and in the Lord's timing, here we are. So it's great. Uh, we appreciate your time and sharing your testimony, and we look forward to what the Lord might do as you continue your ministry here within uh, Melanie Park. Um, <clears throat> and I would echo what Mark said. Uh, if you and uh, your home group or small group or just individuals want to meet with Doug, then uh, please reach out to him and Sherry and spend some time with them. If you don't know them, uh, you will uh, certainly enjoy uh, your time together. So, well, quick introduction in case you don't know me. My name's Carrie Gilbert, uh, my wife Sherry and I, and uh, Kate and Corin are our two kids. Um, Sherry and I have been here at Melanie Park Church for over 20 years. Um, we came when... Um, uh, Sherry was pregnant with uh, Cade, our first, uh, first child, and uh, as we walked into one of the rooms down the hallway, <clears throat> we walked in and there was, I don't know, six or eight or ten other ladies in that young couples class that were all pregnant, and we thought, we found our spot. <laughs> and unbeknownst to us at the time, uh, there was a number of couples in that class who had um, been having trouble uh, getting pregnant, and so... Um, uh, it became um, uh, the goal, uh, it, well, the Lord laid it on uh, uh, Tony and Kanatani's heart to begin praying for those couples uh, in that way. And lo and behold, within a year, I think there were 11 children born out of that Sunday school class within that year. So, um, But what I want you to hear out of that is that um, not if you come to the young couples class that somehow you're going to conceive... <laughs> But more importantly, that um, this is a church that has loved and cared for Sherry and I and our family in great ways over the past 20 years, and it's, it's my pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> I took a look at Todd's notes and thought about reading them to you, um, and I just looked at that and thought, this is, Todd's, this is what Todd's, uh, the Lord's laid on Todd's heart, and um, that needs to be reserved for him, and so... Uh, what I'm going to do today is share some things that the Lord's put on my heart uh, over the last several, well, years probably, <clears throat> and um, 
will trust that um, whatever comes out of my mouth, I pray that is uh, from, this, from the Lord. So, um, <clears throat> so Sherry and I have been here for about 20 years. I've uh, served on the elder team for, I don't remember how long, um, probably eight years by now. So it is a blessing to <clears throat> serve along these guys. And during this time, we've had the opportunity to be involved in teaching different classes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, one was the college and career class. We taught that for about eight years. We taught the young couples class for about eight years. And um, then I had the chance to be in Mark's uh, adult Bible fellowship class for a number of years, a couple of years. <clears throat> and recently, out of a need, we started another college and career class. So uh, that's the kind of history of our involvement, Sherry and I's involvement within this body in terms of a teaching role. And so through that time, um, we've, uh, I've had the chance to cover a lot of scripture, and maybe after today you're going to think, well, it didn't have an impact. But, um, but the bottom line is what I'm going to share with you today is something that the Lord is bringing to light in my heart uh, over the, the last couple of years specifically. Um, and you're going to listen and say, okay, that's pretty simple. Well, my brain is pretty simple, and so I hope this comes out the way that uh, he's worked it out in my heart. Um, just a quick uh, little bit of, um, um, of, of history. We're going to start with um, the fact that God is good. Now, we would all agree and nod our heads that God is good, right? Um, but Scripture tells us that God is good, and if we know that Scripture is the truth, then let's turn to Scripture and read about God is good. So we're going to flip around a little bit today, so you'll have to bear with me, and, um, but we're going to have some fun. All right, so let's take a look at Psalm 86, 5. In fact, I'm just going to read the first five verses of this uh, psalm. This is a prayer of David. So Psalm 86, uh, 5 says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a, go for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And he continues in asking the Lord to hear his prayer. But we see in here that it says in verse 5, For you, o, for you Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. So we see a couple of things. We are studying God's attributes in the college and career group, and as we look at God's goodness, this is one of the verses that we looked at together. And it tells us that the Lord is good and ready to forgive. So we have to assume that if he's ready to forgive, then there's something he has to forgive. Well, all of us, Scripture tells us in Romans 3 um, that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so here we are. And yet, <clears throat> God loved us so much that he created a solution for that sin, and we know that that was uh, the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. This verse also goes on to say that um, he is abund abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. So not only does it share with us that he's good, it also shares with us that we are to call upon him in effort 
to receive his loving kindness. So he's good, he's abundant in loving kindness, and we can call upon him. Psalm 31.19 talks about the greatness of his goodness. If we look at Luke uh, 18.19... Look at Luke 18, 19. I'm going to start in 18. It says, a ruler questioned him, Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he continues with uh, some direction referring back to the commandments. So we see in the psalm that the Lord is good and ready to forgive. He's abundant in loving kindness. And here we hear Jesus responding to one of the rulers saying, uh, uh, rebuking him for calling him good, saying no one is good except God alone. And so this is a challenge because, well, was Jesus not good? Well, of course he was in his, uh, as God, he was good. Um, but recall, he's in uh, his person, he's functioning in as fully God and fully man. And though he could have led himself up to be good, he submitted to the Father's goodness in effort to walk on this life in a perfect, sinless life. So we know that God is good. We know that Jesus submitted to God's goodness um, <clears throat> as uh, he walked on this earth. If we look over at Romans, um, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7 um, gives us some information or gives us a perspective from Paul regarding the goodness that lives in his flesh. And I would read this as it's coming from me as well. Verse 18 of chapter 7 in Romans says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. So Paul is claiming that though he desires to do good, his flesh redirects his desire to do what his flesh wants. So in and of ourselves, we can't be anything close to good. We know that God is loving kind. He's he's full of loving kindness. He is good. We know that Jesus, who was the image of God, was submissive to God's goodness, and yet here we see that in our flesh we can be nothing. Only God is good. I may desire to do good. The willing is in me, but the doing of good is not. And yet we continue to review and study in Romans. We learn that though we were, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, We know the gospel story that God called us to himself through his son and through the work of Jesus on the cross, and he created us as a new being. If you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, then he has forgiven you of your sins. Stan mentioned it in his opening and talked about baptism. So if we're a new creation, if we're a new creature in Christ, then Christ's goodness lives in us in the Spirit. Now, there's this challenge that we deal with that has to do with, well, 
I'm a new creation, but I still live in this fleshly body, so how does that all work? Well, we don't have enough time today. But the bottom line is, is that if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, then you are a new creation. You're a new creature. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we have been created for good works prepared beforehand. So, the first time I read that passage, it's become one of my favorites. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, if we can flip there. I'll just read it. The first time I read this passage and really understood what it meant, um, it dawned on me that if those good works that are prepared beforehand are not... um, are prepared beforehand, then I don't have to worry about whether or not I come up with the good things to do, right? How much time do we spend figuring out what it is that I want to do that's good because I feel like I need to do something good? But maybe we need to just walk through our day in obedience to Christ, recognizing that He's prepared the good works already. So Ephesians 2 Uh, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So if we've put our faith in Christ, then he has set us apart for good works that he's called us to, from eternity past. That's pretty amazing. And so my job is to simply walk through my day with the opportunity, looking for those opportunities, and trusting the urging of the Spirit to lead me into those conversations that need to take place. I do uh, an okay job at that sometimes, and I do a pretty lousy job at that sometimes, because my schedule's my schedule, and I have a meeting, and I need to go to that thing, right? And so a lot of times I get off track. But if God is good, Jesus submitted to God's authority, and we recognize that nothing good is in us except for Christ himself, then we have a good start. Well, if God is good, then, and and our goodness comes from knowing Christ, then what are we to do? Well, over the past, I don't know, it's probably been more like five or six years, but it feels like two. Over the past several years, um, the Lord has been leading me to a place for myself of somewhat of a mantra for my life that's from Scripture. And I'll give you the, um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to teach you, then I'm going to teach it to you, and then I'm going to tell you again what I taught you in all good educator fashion. So what I have been taught over the last several years is that I believe that Scripture tells us that we are to seek God, Matthew 6, 33. I believe that He guides us to trust the Spirit, John 14, 26. And I believe that He calls us to love one another, John 15, 12. So let's just take a look at those together and see what they mean for our lives. So let's take a look at seeking God, Matthew 6, 33. I've already told you what it says. 
This is why Todd marks pages in his Bible. All right, Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek God. If we look over at um, Jeremiah 29, many of you know this verse. Sherry and I, when we first were married, uh, verse 2911, Jeremiah 2911 was kind of our, our verse. You know, you had some had a song, some had uh, something, but we had a, a verse, and of course we picked one that many people knew. But it was many years into our marriage before we recognized the richness of what was in verses 12 and 13. And yet we had stopped at 11. So Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says, um, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And we stopped there and said, great, we're married. We know that God has good plans for us and he's going to give us hope. And yet, if we continue, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, Sherry and I, in our excitement of being newlyweds, were looking for that hope, looking for that, um, uh, the, the prosper that would come with as a young married couple. And it's a promise. It's here. But there's, a, there's guidance that happens after verse 11, and we had missed it completely. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, God wants us to search for him. He wants us to seek him. And if we're to seek him, what do you think we're going to find? We're going to find his goodness. We're going to find his holiness. We're going to find his faithfulness. We're going to find his sovereignty. One of the things that has become evident to me in, in my lifetime is that God's goodness doesn't have anything to do with me. He's good because he's good. He can be nothing else. And so, as we taught through a young couple's Bible study many years ago, <clears throat> it began to, to, I began to understand by his spirit that if he's good and he can be nothing else, then he didn't cause these things in my life that I'm upset about. He allowed them, but he didn't cause them. So they were either trials, things that didn't make any sense for no uh, obvious reason, or they were consequences of some really crummy decision that I had made or was making on a daily basis. And either way, consequences of my bad decisions or trials, things that didn't seem to make sense and had no apparent, no apparent reason, trials or consequences both are designed and allowed in our lives in effort to bring us to a place of dependence upon Him. James 1, verses 2 through 4, talks about the idea of taking joy in your trials. Effectively, it says that knowing that the endurance of those trials makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, who of us, which of us doesn't want to be, we want to be complete, right? Wouldn't we all want that? 
but none of us want to go through the trials or the consequences. And how many times have I stood before God and cried out to him and said, God, why? Only to recognize that it was my sin that put me in that circumstance. So whether it's trials or circumstances, he's called us to reconcile to him through his son. And by faith, we have that opportunity. We're to take joy in our trials. That doesn't make any sense. Those don't make me happy. Well, happiness and joy are not the same thing. But if I know that that trial or that consequence is designed to reconcile me to God and to place me in a position of submission to Him and bring me closer to Him, building my faith and trust in Him, then I should take joy knowing that whatever I'm going through is leading me to the place where I am closer to my God. So if God is good and we're to seek Him, how do we seek Him? He's not, Christ left us, right? By His, um, by God's plan and Jesus' submission, He left the earth. And you can imagine the um, challenge of the disciples as they began to hear this from Jesus. And we hear it recorded in John, so we'll flip to John chapter 14. You'll remember the story of uh, Peter as Jesus begins talking about him going away. They don't really understand. The disciples don't understand what's happening in the early part or the end of verse, uh, sorry, chapter 13. Peter's saying, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, uh, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Peter's aghast. He can't understand. There's no way, Lord, I'll never do that to you. And we know the rest of that story, don't we? Well, Jesus continues and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. He talks about uh, his father's house having many dwelling places. He goes on in verse 6 to say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen me. As he continues, he starts to talk about him needing to leave and go to his Father's house. They want to go with him. They don't know how to get there. He explains he's the way and the truth and the life. And he leaves them with this commandment. He says, you can't come with me. But he says in verse 15, and I'm going to read through... Um, Verse 26, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as, or as orphans. I will come to you after a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. 
Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you were going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus is telling the disciples he's leaving and going away and you can't come with me. But he promises, I will ask my Father and he will give you a helper and the helper will bring to remembrance all the things that I have spoken to you. What a promise. But they didn't want Jesus to leave, did they? They wanted, to, they wanted Jesus to stay there. They still didn't understand that his kingdom that he promised and that was promised to them was not of this life, but an eternal kingdom. But Jesus says, I have to go. If you continue reading in verse 15, you learn about abiding uh, abiding with Christ, you recognize the, um, the work of the Spirit to draw us to Himself. The Helper is there to bring to remembrance all the things that He's taught us. So if we know that God is good, then we should seek Him. Matthew 6.33 We're told in chapter 14 of John that we are to trust the Spirit. That He will urge our hearts towards the things that we need to do. So seek God, trust the Spirit. If we read a little bit farther into chapter 15 of John, verse 12 says, Jesus still speaking, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. So folks, I've, I turned 50 last year. I know I don't look that old. <laughs> but it's taken me, um, and, and I accepted Christ at the age of 12. But it wasn't until about 25 that I really began to understand what it meant to walk with him. And I'm learning more and more every day by his grace and mercy. But what I've learned is that God is good. And because he's good, we can trust him. But that doesn't take away the opportunity and the need for me to seek him. And so when we seek him, he reveals himself to us in scripture. How do you seek God? Well, you read his word. This is his. He wrote this. He had some people write it down for him, but he wrote this. This is his word. It's good for training and rebuke and righteousness. So we're to seek God. How do I know what decision is right? What am I supposed to do in this circumstance? Well, I believe our guidance and our message is to trust the Spirit. If we seek God, we're in his word we're in a community of believers, then we're in his presence. But I know 
my heart can be inclined as to what to do, option A or B. And sometimes the answer is, I, I believe sometimes God doesn't necessarily care whether it's A or B. We want, he wants us to submit to him. But other times we have a decision that is, um, is one where he will urge our hearts towards a clear path. But I promise you that if we're not seeking God, then there's no ability for us to hear that small, quiet voice saying, go this way. And I can give you example after example after example of my life of things that I could have done differently if I had just been listening. And yet, he has me right where he wants me to be. I can give you example after example of times when I've trusted the Lord. And I can tell you where it's brought me. So, seek God, trust the Spirit, and love others. How do we love others? Mark, I love you. Is that it? That's part of it. But maybe it's not just words. Maybe it's actions. Maybe it's caring for people that need to be cared for. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's watching kids for a couple that need to spend some time together. I don't know. But I do know that Ephesians 2 tells us that those are good works prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. And so we don't have to come up with those things on our own. He's laid them out for us. So all we have to do is seek God, trust the Spirit, and love others. Well, how do we love others? Seek God and trust the Spirit, and He'll show you how to love others. So folks, I know this is a relatively simple message, but it's been one that has been very impactful for me over the last several years. Um, the more that I seek God, the more that I can understand and hear and trust that Spirit, His Spirit, the Spirit that lives in my heart. Because if I'm not listening to that Spirit, then I'm likely to be drawn away by my flesh to whatever my flesh desires. Because until He glorifies me in heaven, I'm stuck in this body. And my flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to. But I'm a new creation. I don't have that identity anymore. And by His grace and mercy, He shares with me through His, through his Word and through His Spirit that I'm to love people. And I don't always do a good job with it. Sometimes I do. And when I do, it's all credit to the Lord. Because in my flesh, I have no ability to love Sherry Lou Gilbert the way that she needs to be loved. It's probably the biggest example in my life is that apart from him, I have absolutely no ability to love Sherry, but he has created her to be loved by him, and I get to be the vessel through which she is loved if I'm seeking God, trusting the Spirit, and loving and respecting my spouse. So we're very um, excited to... Uh, get to spend time as a family together today. Uh, we're sorry that Todd couldn't join us, but um, uh, if you would continue to pray, uh, to pray for him. And I'm going to pray for us, and after that I'm going to ask the Lenots to come forward and introduce them as a new family. But um, thank you for bearing with me through uh, this morning. Um, 30 minutes goes pretty quickly when you're on the spot. <laughs> but... Um, but I just, I'm thankful to be a part of this church 
family, I appreciate your uh, attention this morning. So pray with me. Father, thank you that you have uh, given us time uh, together to be together. We do pray for our brother Todd. Uh, We pray that you would heal him, that you would help him to feel better soon. And Lord, we look forward to the message that you put on his heart uh, that was planned for today. I thank you for Doug and Sherry McAlpine and their hearts and their love toward you, that they would be willing to step into uh, the role uh, of elder, that you have led Doug to that place, and that, Lord, this family would reach out to him and them and uh, get to know them better. And Lord, we trust that your guidance and direction in this decision would be just that. It would be our ability to trust your will and us to follow. Lord, I'm thankful that you uh, call us to seek you, that you make yourself available, the God of all creation, available to me and us so that we may know you. I thank you that you've given us the helper that Jesus promised so that he might guide and direct our thoughts and our desires, because apart from you, we can do nothing. And Father, I pray that you give us the wisdom to love one another as you've called us to, that we would walk through those good works prepared beforehand. And um, Lord, we just ask that you would bless the rest of our day. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his life, his death, and resurrection, and what it means to us as we walk in your righteousness as your people, saved by the blood of your son. So, Father, we love you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.